him a round of applause as he comes up. I just want to pray for you real quick, Rich. Lord, thank you for this man. Thank you for your anointing upon his life. Lord, speak in him and through him today. Lord, may his words be filled with your wine. May your anointing be in this place. Give us hearts that are open and minds that are ready to receive everything that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go for it, buddy. Thanks, mate. Good morning. Nice to see everyone. Um, they've let me come back. I'm not quite sure why. But I'm here today. So... Um, Today I'm talking on um, Jesus is the Bridegroom. So to get started, I just want to delve straight into Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, or your phone, or your tablet, or any other means of reading, um, please turn your Bible to John 3, um, verse 22. So it says this, I'm going to read it from here. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing Aon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, before I'm we start to look at the passage. I just want to tell you a short story. Um, it's by a guy called Max Lucado, who is um, an author and a preacher. He's written books that we've even used in church before. And the story goes like this. You see, Max wrote the story, and he said there was this prince. And this prince was the kindest, um, richest, most caring prince you've ever met. Everyone who knew him, loved and adored him, they thought he was absolutely amazing. And one day... This prince fell in love with a peasant girl. Now, this peasant girl wasn't particularly anything special. In fact, some might even say she was a little bit ugly. I know. But if you could see her through the eyes of the prince, you would have thought she was to die for. You would have thought she was the most magnificent thing. And so one day, this prince, one day, he decided he was going to propose to the peasant girl. And the story goes that the angels sat in heaven, eagerly waiting her response. And he proposed to her, and she said, yes, I would love that. I am so up for that. And the prince had to go away for a while. He said, but I will be back. I will be back. Will you be faithful? And his bride-to-be said, yes, of course I will be. Of course I'll be faithful. Of course I will do that. Now, if this was the Disney version, this would all end happily ever after, and there would be a few kind of bits of conflict, but that would be it. But actually, this is where the story takes a bit of a bizarre turn, because if you were to see this future bride, you wouldn't have thought she was preparing for a wedding. You wouldn't have thought that she um, even knew she was marrying a prince. She wasn't wearing the new clothes that he'd got her. She was still wearing her peasant outfit. 
She was just doing what all the other peasants did. And some said she was even flirting with other men. Is it possible for a peasant girl to forget her prince? Is it possible for a bride to forget her bridegroom? Today I'm talking on Jesus is the bridegroom. And the story we've just seen um, is obviously an illustration of that. If we refer back to the scripture that I read from John, you've got John who is ecstatically excited about the bridegroom. He has been waiting for this day, for the bridegroom to come back for years. He knew it was coming and he is so excited because he has the honour of witnessing the marriage, of witnessing what is going on between these two. And he is so excited. And the idea of um, marriage isn't, as an illustration for God's love for the church, isn't a new idea. This is the first time it's mentioned in the New Testament, but we know from reading the Bible that this is an idea that exists throughout the Bible, this idea of God marrying his people. It says in Isaiah, for example, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So there's an illustration there of that, that sense of the church, of God's people and God and their relationship. In fact, there's one book in the Old Testament, which is Hosea or Hosea or however you want to say it, but where there's this story where Jesus tells him to marry a prostitute. He says, marry a prostitute who will be faithless to you. And she was, she goes with other men and he has to go back and pay for her and redeem her because God wanted to show how much he loved his church, that he is a redeeming God who wants to redeem his God, redeem his church, sorry. Now, in the New Testament, when John is saying all this, his disciples would have recognised that actually he was saying how magnificent Jesus was, that Jesus was again the Son of God. They would have recognised that illustration. But I guess the question for us is, what does it mean for Jesus to be our bridegroom? Now, I was um, a bridegroom a year and a bit ago. Not a bride, thankfully. That would have been weird. But... Um, I had the privilege of getting married and it is one of the most exciting, amazing days in your life. I'm sure those of you who are, are married know that already. It's also very stressful at times beforehand, but the day is magnificent. And I would love to say I was the perfect bridegroom, that I was absolutely fantastic, but um, I had my moments. I had things that I did that wound up both my, my uh, future bride and those around me. Um, and the interesting thing for me as a bridegroom and my wife, Maria, for anyone who doesn't know who she is, as um, a bride, is that obviously we, we did conflict at times. There were things that came up. So before we got married, um, we discovered that we had a bit of issue with food between the two of us. You see, I hate sharing my food. I hate it when someone comes and steals my food. I'm sure everyone's going to try this now. But there was this time where... Um, I, so Maria, I used to say to Maria, I'm going to cook some food. Do you want anything? Did you want some chips? No, I'm fine. That's all good. Okay, I cook the plate of chips. I put some gravy on. Chips and gravy is amazing. And I go to eat it. And then suddenly she reaches over, she grabs a chip and she eats it. And I'm like, but you didn't want anything. Well, she said, I didn't then. I said, but you want it now? What's that about? And so this became a bit of a joke between us. And then one day, I was cooking lunch for my family. I was cooking these uh, sausage pâtés, a bit like the McMuffin things. And so I cooked everyone in the family. I said, hey, what do you want? Do you want two or one? And I did all of this. I dished them out. 
And I, I gave Maria one and she had hers. And I sat down with mine, the final one. There was none left. And I went to eat it. And she reaches over and she took a bite. And I looked at her, I was like, what? And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a joke out of this. It wasn't really a joke, I was quite stubborn and annoyed. So I grabbed my plate and went, if you want it, you have it. And I gave it to her. And she looked at me and said, don't be silly, and gave it back. But I said it again. And she looked at me and said, you're being stupid. And I said, go on. And so then she sat and she decided, okay, fine. And so she ate all of my lunch, <laughs> not even wanting it at all. And I sat there with no lunch at all because we'd run out of all food in the house. So it was a good day. Thankfully, Jesus as the bridegroom isn't like that. He's not going to steal your food or get annoyed if you want to eat some of his. But don't we as humans, we, we um, don't always... Hello? Um, as um, humans sometimes, we, we have conflicts in marriage, don't we? We conflict with each other. We have discussions and conversations that don't go great or have problems. But the key thing is, right, that Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. And you see, I, I love my wife. I think she's amazing. I think she's fantastic. And I look at her and I, all I can see is good stuff. There's the odd times when I'm frustrated, but most of the time I think she is amazing and fantastic and that she is the apple of my eye. Now, if I could think that about my wife, how much more does Jesus think that about his bride? And his bride is the people of God. It's the church. It's the kingdom. It's you on an individual level. Do you know how much you mean to him? It says in Ephesians this, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The bridegroom loves his church and sees her as perfect and wants her to know how special she is. Now for us as, as the bride, what does that mean? Now as I said, I've not been a bride, neither do I even tend to be. But my wife has, and I can make some observations. You see, when we were getting married, my wife was obsessive with the marriage. You know, all the time, it was all that was on her mind. Me, it was kind of like, yeah, we're getting married, great. And then I would quite happily get on with my day and pretend that I didn't have to sort anything out. But she was always thinking about it. It was always on her mind. You know, I, I remember sitting on the couch, dozing off, just kind of like blissfully like, ah. And then suddenly there's this laptop in my face saying, what do you think of these serviettes? I'm like, well, they're, they're serviettes, I guess. And I'd look at the price and go like, and I'd be shocked by the price. And I'm like, why can't we just go to Sainsbury's and get some basic ones? Bad idea, don't do that. But she had every detail planned. She was excited for the wedding. She was excited for the day where she would see her bridegroom, where she would see me dressed up, where she would get to walk down that aisle and we would become um, a couple forever. She was excited by that. And I wonder, is the church excited? As the people of God, are we really excited about the wedding day? You know, David mentioned it earlier, this idea that one day Jesus is going to come back. And are we ready for that? Are we prepared for that? Do we, do we know what that means? Are we excited by that? Because sometimes the church, we get caught up in our own stuff. You know, the church is a messy place. 
Um, it's not perfect. And every church has its issues. Every church has its problems. And sometimes people get hurt. And sometimes people get frustrated that there's no movement or that things aren't going forward in the way they want it to. Or they think, oh, these leaders don't know what they're talking about. And then there's little moans and little things underneath wandering around. And all of these things, but yet in many ways, are just a distraction from God. There's um, some posts going around on Facebook, as there always are. Um, and there's a couple. There's one that's about the millennial, or millennial children leaving church, saying that they're done with church. And then there's another one, which is the de-church generation, which is people over 50 who are saying they're done with church. They haven't lost their faith, but they're done with it. And that really saddens me. Bill Hybel says the, church, the local church is the hope of the world, which is a really powerful quote. But yeah, we live in a generation where so many people are deciding that you know, they can't deal with church for whatever reason. They're frustrated with it, and that's understandable. They're frustrated, perhaps, that they feel things haven't changed or moved forward, whatever that's about. But rather than deciding to try and do something about it, or they've tried and it's gone the wrong way, they've instead said, you know what? I'm done with it. And it's not to say, um, have a go at those people, because the chances are they've been hurt, they've been burned, things have gone wrong, and that's the result of why it's happened. So it's not a judgment call. But something somewhere has gone wrong in how we view church, in how we view our relationship with God as a church, as a kingdom of people. If you want to change church, if something's frustrating you, you've got to get out of the boat. And I don't necessarily mean that you need to start serving and and helping with the chairs and setting up the sound, although that's really appreciated. And I want to honour anyone who does that because you are so valued and so appreciated because it takes a long time to set all of this up. But it's about a kingdom lifestyle. It's not about going, well, I think I should be preaching, so I should be up the front. Because actually, yes, it takes a bit of courage to get up here, but it's very easy for me to hold a microphone and once I get going, keep talking. It's a lot harder when you're out on the street to say, I feel a prophetic word for that person on, over there. Or talking to the person behind the till at Tesco's and going, are you okay? I think God says, wants to tell you he loves you. That takes real courage. That takes kingdom living that we're not at yet. Or I'm not. But I want to be. I want to be at a place as the bridegroom where I can go, you know what? I, I want to serve my king and be ready for him and live every day out ready to know that when he comes back, I have been faithful. And I have said, I am going to live a kingdom lifestyle that goes into my every day. That doesn't just say, I come to church on a Sunday and have a nice sing song. But says, actually, I want to see lives changed. I want to see a, a kingdom life in this area. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if out of this place we all walked out and we just said, God, use me. And as a result, we had prophetic encounters. We had healings and all sorts throughout the, the week. You know, wouldn't that be amazing to live that kind of lifestyle that is so courageous and so willing to step forward? And I'm not there, but I really, really want to be. I really want to move into a place like that where I can go, God, use me. Here I am. Send me. I want to be the perfect bride. It's about a lifestyle. You know, it's not just about activities. It's not just about doing social action and all of that, which is fantastic. There's, um, 
a lot of stuff about Jesus and the bridegroom and everything in Revelation. I'm not going to touch too much on that, but there's a letter written to the church of Ephesus in in chapter 2. And in this letter, the essence is that Jesus basically says, you know, I'm writing to you to say, you guys are fantastic. Everything you do is great. You do some great stuff. You do lots of good things. But I have this one complaint about you. You have forgotten your first love. I wonder if sometimes we're very good at giving ourselves a pat on the back for all the, th- the social action and things that we do, but have we forgotten what it means to love God? Have we forgotten what it means to just spend time with God? You know, because when we can enter that place of knowing Him, then all those moans, all those frustrations about church, they'll go away. Because what you'll start to see, you, you will start to see the church, the kingdom, through His eyes. You'll start to see the bride as the beautiful thing that he says it is. And not as the frustrating thing that you might feel. It's very easy for us to to be busy, to get distracted, and to not, um, not focus on God. But saying we're doing everything for him. To saying that we're being prepared. Or to have excuses of why we haven't done stuff. But actually, we need to be a people that are willing to lay down our busyness. You know, when I was playing this talk, I said to God, what is it you want to say? And he, he said to me, the big thing I want people to know is how much I love them. I want them to know that, that I, I love them unconditionally. And that nothing they can do can change that. And on that note, I just felt, what's the response to that? What is our response to that? And I started thinking about where are people at? And I thought, I felt God saying, you know what? There are people here who you have been burnt in your relationship with God. You know, things haven't gone the way you thought they would. And you felt like you've been faithful over the years. You felt like you've put yourself on the line for him. And it hasn't happened or the door hasn't opened, or the thing you wanted hasn't been there. And so there's a part of you that goes, this is all great what you're saying, Rich, but we've been there before, and I don't know that I can do it again. I'd say to you, you know what? Jesus loves you, and he wants to spend time with you, and he wants you to come into his gates. But then I also thought, maybe there's another group of people, a people who who you think that you're not good enough for the bridegroom. You see your value as so low, as so small, that you don't recognise how much you are valued by him. See, Jesus is a God of love. And the Bible tells us that he washed every sin away. But not only that, he doesn't just whitewash your past. It also says he takes you from glory to glory. That means he is constantly constantly working with you to move you forward and he doesn't just see you as all right kind of in the middle you know you've got nothing going on down here but you've got nothing up here he sees you as incredible he believes you are awesome he believes you are special he loves you he cares about you and he wants you to know how much he loves you he doesn't love you because of who you are He loves you because of who you are to him. 
You're the apple of his eye. You're special. He cares for you. He wants relationship with you. And in terms of that relationship, it may be, we're not saying to everyone that you need to come, go to your home into your room and close all your doors and try, and try and force some scene because we were all made unique. You were made individual to fit perfectly in him. Just as me and Maria complement each other and we fit together, God says you fit into him. You are his bridegroom. You are his bride. You were designed to fit with him. And maybe your way of engaging with him is to do some, some art. Or maybe it's to dance. Maybe it's to write. It's not just about sitting um, and trying, trying to force God. But the more time we spend with him, the more we will see things through his eyes. The more we will see things as he wants us to see. The more we will recognise what it is in, his, in our lives that he wants to do. And the more it won't matter about our frustrations because all we will see is the kingdom as he wants it to be seen. Heidi Baker um, wrote this about the bride. She says, We are the object of his affection and he has fixed his eyes on us. Like us, he loves us to be loved. He is after a single-minded, single-hearted bride. A bride who is so in love so compelled by love that she will go anywhere, anytime, to call in the rest of the bride. I believe that this passionate bride knows who she is. His love destroys fear in her. She is not afraid of persecution, war, famine or hardship. Love for her bridegroom king is so strong that nothing is too difficult. She knows he loves her and she is not a slave. She is not alone. Her heart for him draws her to others who have not yet found his love. She freely gives of herself. She freely gives her life away for the one she loves. Let's be a people that love. I wonder if the band could come back up. I just... When I was preparing this, I really felt God saying that if you are someone who, as I said, maybe you've been burned by God and you just need a touch of his, his spirit to understand that he wasn't burning you, he loves you. And that was just circumstance. It'd be great to pray for you. It'd be great to pray for people who maybe you feel you're not good enough. We want you to know how much Jesus loves you. Or maybe... You just want to be reminded of him. Maybe you've forgotten your first love. And you just want a touch of his spirit. We'd love to pray for you. I wonder if um, the prayer team would be prepared to do that. Um, shall we stand up together? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Rush job. I'm just going to pray. And then if you want to come forward, um, we'll pray for you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you say we are your beautiful bride. Even when we don't get that, when we don't understand, you say we are amazing. You say we are awesome. And I thank you, Jesus. 
I thank you that you, you love your church. You love your people. You love us on an individual and a corporate level, God. And that's what you want us to know, God. Thank you for all that you're doing today, Jesus. Would you bless us as we leave this place, God? Amen.